Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, Graceland Church. Happy Easter. If I don't know you, uh, my name is Nathan Kolar. I'm very honored to be our lead pastor here. Uh, that was my wife, who is one of our worship leaders, but she's our, our kids director, and they have some of the team leading it today. Um, we would love to meet you if we haven't met you yet. Uh, we consider ourselves a church family here that's all about following Jesus. It's really simple. And then loving our neighbor for the good of the city that we're in. Uh, we envision um, a diverse and enduring church, and we envision focusing on the mission of God and building a land of grace here on this property uh, that God has blessed us with. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Uh, there's a beautiful tradition on Easter Sunday in many congregations, and it's kind of a call and response. So I'm gonna set it up and then we're gonna do it. When I say, he is risen, the, congregations responds, the congregation responds strongly, he is risen indeed. So we're gonna actually put it on the screen for you in case you can't remember, he is risen indeed. We really, we lower the bar so everyone can get access. So we're gonna do it three times for you know Friday and then Saturday and Sunday, the resurrection. I'll say it and you respond, he is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. That's why we celebrate today. We're starting a two-part series. It'll be just this week and next week called The Life You've Longed For. And I'm going to share the message of Easter, which probably a lot of you have heard before, but I'm praying uh, that you experience it deeper than you ever even thought was possible. That's my prayer. This quote helps articulate what I'm praying. This doctor who was the president of a university was talking about something that happened there. So he's talking about it in past tense, but I'm praying it that it would happen here. Things that were simply tradition became reality. Things that were simply vocabulary became human experience. And what had been transmitted from head to head now suddenly became living reality in people's hearts. So I'm praying that you will more fully step into the life you've longed for. And I wanna start uh, with a story about my family. We have been watching uh, the incredible Spider-Man movies. Anybody? Any love? Very little love for Spider-Man here on Easter Sunday. Maybe it's just not what you were expecting, but let's talk about Spider-Man for a minute. I have three daughters and a son. My son is three years old, and Clay has realized without a shadow of a doubt that the life that he longs for is to be Spider-Man. <laughs> this is what he looks like right here. Clay Allen Kolar, Band-Aid on the chin and everything. And that's not just a Spider-Man suit, it is the Iron Spider-Man suit. It's the special one that Tony Stark made for him and he became an Avenger. So Clay has the Iron Spider-Man suit and I am not joking, almost every morning, whenever I get home from work, all the time on the weekend, he says, Dad, you wanna play Fire Monster? Which means I'm the Fire Monster and I have to attack the family, and he has to protect the family from me, the fire monster. He can play it all day, every day, and his face lights up whenever we're gonna play fire monster. I chase him, he protects him, he shoots webs at me until I die on the ground, and then he laughs. <laughs> when he first got the mask portion of it, when he first put it on, his sisters reacted to him so funny, and I caught this, what I feel like is the perfect sibling photo. <laughs> That's our neighborhood, and Clay, he realized the power he had, and before he realized he was gonna protect them, he tried to destroy them, and they were running from him. Now he literally just hangs around the house in full costume, doing everyday things like eating at the dinner table, 
just chilling out, watching TV, just chilling out on the ottoman. The first time he ever put it on, he couldn't get the fingers right, and this is what he first looked like when he was... <laughs> Ultimately, when he puts it on, he steps into the life he longs for, and this is my favorite shot, because he has the power stance, and he's got the joy on his face. This is someone who knows who he is. Iron Spider-Man. Significance, power, protection, and adventure. And obviously I'm being silly, but I'm also being very real. We are like clay. There is a life that we long for in our innermost being. We know there's more. We know we're created for something. And I think it's really important to ask ourselves, what is the life I'm longing for? What is it? Sometimes we think it's to be Spider-Man. Sometimes we think it is some kind of other identity. We think it's security. We think it's fame. We think it's wealth. We think it's possessions or relationships, you name it. But I wanna to submit to you today uh, in number one in your notes is the best definition of the life we long for is the fruit or results of the spirit. Scripture talks about this and it's, you think of a tree, certain trees have certain fruit and the fruit can tell you what kind of tree it is. And here's what scripture tells us is the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what I have come to believe is the life that we most deeply long for is defined by these attributes. In other words, the life we long for is not an external reality, it is an internal reality. And I believe these fruit could be the solution to every single problem in our life. Anytime we find ourselves in need or in frustration or in longing, I believe one of these is the internal answer to that tension. We long to love and we long to be loved. That is our deepest core desire. We hunger for the kind of joy that's deeper than our circumstance. Right now in our world, we long for peace that actually lasts fills our homes, fills our hearts. We see the reality in the world and in our culture. As the world gets more and more harsh, we long for kindness and gentleness, and we aspire to lives of faithfulness and self-control. I believe this list is quite literally God's vision for humanity, and I believe we see it at the beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden. And I don't think we talk about it enough in the church, but God's vision for humanity began with Adam and Eve. He created people, he put them in the wonder of creation, all these animals, the beauty, the majesty of all of it. And then internally, no shame, no fear, nothing to worry about, meaningful relationships, purpose, joy, freedom in the presence of God, a relationship with God. They would walk and speak together and they lived in love. It was a vision of flourishing life. And I just wanna set this groundwork, and you might not believe me yet, but just bear with me for the message. But I believe, and it's number two in your notes, God's vision for you is to have the life you long for at the deepest level. And I understand why we sometimes have a, a negative reaction to a statement like that, because we're wondering, what about the pain? What about the reality of what's going on in our life? Let's just pause for a second. I believe that this is true. I believe God is a, is a heavenly father. I believe you're his creation. I believe he thought you up. I believe he designed you perfectly. And I believe he wants you at his deepest level to have the life that you long for at your deepest level. And it, of course, begs the question, if that's true and that's this all-powerful God's vision, 
and this loving God's vision, then what in the world happened? Look at the world. Look at my life. Look at even just the daily challenges. Rather than love, selfishness abounds. And not just out there, but you guys all know, anyone who's honest with themselves knows their intensely selfish inclinations. Rather than joy, we often feel despair. We feel depression. Sometimes we just feel boredom and despondency. Rather than peace, and I really know this one as a pastor, just in the pastoral counseling that I do with people, your average person right now, and it really is almost an average, is consumed with anxiety, consumed with fear, like waking up into it. Oh, great. Right back into the familiar anxiety and fear. Some experts are calling this generation of young people the most anxious generation ever since we've been measuring it because of how fast anxiety rates are going up in teens and preteens. So that's something that I thoroughly want to reject, and I want to say there's a better way forward for the young people in our world. I mentioned this already, but rather than kindness, we see more and more polarization. We see almost the complete loss of compassion and empathy, including in the church. <laughs> like the ones who are meant to be demonstrating this vision of God, we are the ones that sometimes show the least mercy. It's like, man, God, what happened to this vision? Rather than gentleness, they seem to be marked by harshness. Rather than self-control, we feel more out of control than ever. We see a world that looks more out of control than ever. Even just last night, I got woken up in the middle of the night by that same Spider-Man kid, Clay, and my six-year-old, Nessa. My wife had to come do some last-minute stuff at the church. Um, so she was here like almost at like, it was 11 or 11.30 or something like that at night. And so Clay has this thing right now. If he wakes up in the middle of the night, there is no peace in his life unless he is with his mother. Like there is no way I can get him back down other than to basically let him scream for an hour until he exhausts himself. Any dads with me? It's not, it's not that I'm not trying. It's just he is glued to his mother. I literally had to, I mean, he's full on temper tantrum. Middle of the night, last night, I was already asleep. He woke me up. I mean, I was, I was just about at sleep. You know that moment when you're like entering dreamland? I'm like, man, God, you are so faithful. We're gonna have this great Easter celebration tomorrow. Everything, oh, it's just coming together through my door, Nessa and Clay. And I, I again, just have the reality that we all face. I, I got, uh, internally, I was angry. I was really angry. I was angry at my children. I was angry at my wife. Why does she have to be at the church right now? Couldn't you have done this work earlier? Why do my children, oh. I, and, and I started thinking, and this is internal, I'm thinking, I don't wanna disqualify, my, disqualify myself right now from what I'm about to do tomorrow morning, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just share this to illustrate, we all know the reality of life. It hits us every day. And we're like, goodness, we, we sometimes just rebel against the vision of God for our life, that fruit, and we enter into our own vision of life, which is the opposite of all the fruit. It's just true. And the word that scripture uses to define these things is sin. And sin is a word that has almost been hijacked by culture. People use the idea of sin to beat others over the head. I don't think that's what this is about at all. And number three in your notes, I think, articulates it. Sin is so tragic because it stops God's vision for the life you long for. That's why sin is tragic. That's why God hates sin, because sin is something that would pull you away from the life that he has for you. That's it. I don't believe consequences of sin is ever punitive. I don't think God is creating arbitrary rules where he wants to catch you and spank you. I think results of sin, the consequences of sin, are literally logical conclusion. 
it's the way that Jess and I are trying to parent our kids. We don't wanna be obsessed with punishing them out of our anger. We want them to though experience the logical conclusions for when they do stuff that's wrong because it's gonna hurt them or it's gonna hurt other people. That's what sin is. Anybody tracking with me? And so God loves people, but he loves people so much that we wanna get sin out of it. And scripture's clear, we've all sinned and sin separates us from God. I wanna remind you just a little theological framework, these four chapters of human history and human future. It all started with creation. We forget that God had this marvelous vision. It's the life we long for, but then fall. It's articulated in Genesis 3. We all choose to rebel against God's vision for us and go our own way. We can't, we can't help it. It's just what we do. It's why, it's why a little two-year-old can punch another two-year-old in the face. I, I thought I was gonna get a better laugh, but... Not that my kids do that, obviously. I've never seen a child do that in my life. Just kidding. After the fall, <laughs> some people are thinking like lightning is gonna strike down Pastor Nathan right now. After the fall, enter Jesus. Enter Jesus, and then we get the chapter called Redemption. God loves us, un loves us unconditionally, makes a way back home through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then the fourth chapter is Renewal, God's vision for the life we long for restored. I don't think we talk about that enough in kind of the church in American Western reality. We talk a lot about the fall and redemption, as we should, but we don't talk a lot about the fact that God had this vision for humanity and creation, and what scripture actually teaches is that vision gets re-fulfilled. It's new heavens, new earth, new humanity, and we're a part of it. He, he is reestablishing his vision. You know, I kind of grew up with being taught you need to get saved and Get out of this world that's gonna burn so you can get to heaven while everybody burns up. In reality, uh, the, the Bible paints this beautiful picture of an invitation to all of us that, that never stops. He longs for us to be with him and he's creating a new heavens and a new earth. And, and no one will ever not be with God that wants to be with God. That's the picture scripture paints. He, he wants every single person, but it, he doesn't force because we would be a race of robots. Right? And there would be no such thing as love. There'd be no truth. There, there'd, be, there'd be nothing except a, a phony people. So he has to create us with the consciousness and reality and sense of right and wrong and choice that he created us with because he wants a relationship with us. And so I love this, and I just want to remind you that God loves you unconditionally, and he made a way back to the life you long for through Jesus. That's what the gospel is. That's it. It's we say yes to it because he loves us. Agape love which is the word scripture uses for the love of God, means unconditional. And I always try to, I have to preach this to myself. I remind myself, I don't wanna remind you, God's drawn a circle of agape love around you. Like you couldn't get rid of it if you tried. You couldn't mess it up on your worst day. You couldn't, you couldn't curse God enough to get rid of God's circle of agape love drawn around you, period. And he loves, and that, because of that, he made a way back to the life you long for through Jesus. I wanna take us through some of these scriptures um, John 3.16, probably the most well-known, for God so what the world? How, how is it that we, the church, have the reputation of raging against the world when God's whole intention is to love the world? How did we get here? That's why I'm like, oh, what happened to the vision, God? He loves the world. He loves you. He loves me. We're part of the world. And he loves your neighbor just as much as you. And then he demonstrates his own love, Romans 5, in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So what does the heart of God do? What does Jesus do, God in the flesh, when he goes into a place filled with the, the most vile and worst sin that you can imagine? He lays down his life for them. That's what he does. He, he, he commits the greatest demonstration of love. This is the heart of God. And then the invitation. I read this one a lot, Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me. He's saying, you can come back to this vision that I had for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Yoke is a, a word from, from it, means, it means burden, it means what you're carrying. He says, take, take the way I carry weight. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my way of living is easy and my burden is light. And I want you to come back into the vision for the life that you long for. That's the invitation. The context, just to set the framework of this week, it started with Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, one week ago. Jesus' triumphal, triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Lots of crazy things happen during this past week that we're remembering, and, and people are after Jesus to kill him, and at the same time, he's doing incredible things and trying to demonstrate the love of the heart of God, and he has the Last Supper on Good Friday. Uh, it's amazing that w the worst day in all of human history ends up being known as good because God takes what the enemy intends for evil and turns it for good. It's the salvation of our souls. Holy Saturday, God's silence doesn't mean his absence, which is really good news for those of you that feel like God is just silent in your life which happens to all of us. If you feel like God is totally silent, totally absent from your life, and the whole time you're hearing me, you're like, that's a bunch of baloney, God's silence doesn't mean his absence. And that Holy Saturday proves that to us. The most significant thing ever is happening still on Holy Saturday, but God's silent. Jesus is dead. You might be there today. And then today, of course, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is what we're celebrating. And I wanna read the account out of Matthew 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, so it's talking about Sunday, the first day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Notice two women. Jesus in his whole ministry is elevating women. It's amazing. And I won't go on a side tangent. They think they're going to go look at the dead body of Jesus, these women who love him. But there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I wish I could have seen this. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. They were like those goats that when they get terrified, they just freeze and fall. <laughs> That's what happened to the guards. <laughs> the angel then spoke to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And then the announcement, he is not here. He has risen. I get emotional because of what it means for us. Imagine the angel saying this to the woman in the middle of their grieving, no hope, nothing but loss, all unmet expectations, life potentially over, all of a sudden, the angel says, wait a second, he's not here. He has risen just as he said. The angel reminds them, this is what he always said he was going to do. And those, those moments happen in our lives over and over and over again as we are repeatedly called back to return to the Lord. Have you noticed that? Like you, you start a tough season in life. It could go decades. 
whatever it is in your life. And then eventually you come back, God's voice gets through to you in his gentleness and when his announcement, his announcement, and he reminds you, I'm still with you. I'm still with you in the midst of death, there is resurrection. And then 40 days later, after this resurrection, we have the birth of the church. Jesus is literally now hanging out with some of his disciples. So they're literally hanging out in person with the risen Christ. I wish I could have done that in person. And on one occasion in Acts 1, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus begins to connect the resurrection with the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a giant difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in regards to how we interact with the Holy Spirit. And if you're not aware of this teaching, the Holy Spirit is God. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God, one God, three persons. It's okay if we don't fully understand it. I'm comfortable with the mystery. Jesus said, you should be happy that I'm ascending back into heaven because I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And let me remind you, it's the fruit of that same Holy Spirit that articulates this life that we long for. He's saying, you should be so happy because the Holy Spirit is gonna come to you. And now that it's in the New Testament or the new covenant, because we inherit the holiness of God through Jesus, we inherit total forgiveness. Now the Holy Spirit indwells us, fills us. That's theologically what scripture is teaching us. The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would still move and do things. Holy Spirit was alive, active, real, but would only come upon people and move through them in that sense. It was never this indwelling that we've been called into in the new covenant. So he says, this is the gift of my father. Then in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit fills the people and it is the birth of the church. 2,000 years ago, the thing we're still doing today. The reason that sometimes I can't read scripture without crying is because of the Holy Spirit. The reason sometimes you get in a room with believers, whether it's in a church building or a room or a basement or a park, and you start calling on the name of the Lord and sense the presence of God is because of the Holy Spirit. He's with us. He wants to be in us. He wants to lead us and empower us for the life that we long for. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out. A huge crowd, thousands of people gather around. There's mighty rushing wind. There's tongues of fire appearing over people's heads, which I've never seen either of those, but this is what happened here. And amazing things are happening and people become onlookers on what God is doing. And I'm comfortable with the weirdness of it because God does weird stuff. And we just have to get over it. <laughs> He's God. Our bodies are weird. Your body's weird and my body's weird. God does weird stuff. If we really want to talk about it, let's, let's just get over the fact that God does weird stuff all throughout Scripture and say, if you want to do weird stuff among your church today, okay. I just want it to be God if he wants to do weird stuff. I don't want to force any weird stuff that I have some strange idea about. Right? But he does weird stuff. So let's just say yes to whatever he wants to do with us. This is weird. They're speaking in tongues. People are hearing the praises of God in language that they knew the person didn't know. And so that's part of what's drawing the crowd. He's doing things that are surprising people. And then Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon ever at the birth of the church. And it's less of a sermon. It's more of an explanation. He's like, this is what's happening. And here's what he says, fellow Israelites. And by the way, we can even if we're not Jews or Israelites, which most of us here aren't, we know through the book of Acts, the message ends up going to all the Gentiles, which includes every single person here. So fellow people, humans, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. He's talking about King David, who wrote most of the Psalms. 
one of the greatest people in all of Israel's history. He says, that dude is dead and he's still dead, is basically what he's saying. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne, which Jesus is in the lineage of David. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. He's declaring this to a crowd of thousands. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now say and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Quick, quick note there. Sometimes people think um, when we talk like, like that was some attack against the Jews whom you crucified. The reality, when you understand the, the spirit of the word of God and what it's really saying to us here is all of us with our sin are a part of the crucifixion of Jesus. That's what it's saying, all of us, because he did it for us. And I pray there will come the time when you find yourself on your knees, broken at the feet of Jesus in prayer because you realize he did it for you. That's, that's what he's saying there, whom you crucified. He, God made him both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So this is a moment where tradition becomes reality, right? Where what was just passed from head to head becomes human experience. And then Peter gives them the invitation, repent and be baptized. Repent just means to change your mind. That's all it means. Again, it's another word that's hijacked by very, very angry Christians out there that like yell at people constantly, repent or burn and show up and pick at certain places. I just don't think that's the method. Repentance is a beautiful word that's an invitation to change our mind. That's it. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, he's saying, hey, how's the way you're thinking working out for you? How's it going? How many of you'd say, hey, the way I think is beautiful? I doubt a hand would go up. Hey, I've got this life thing figured out and my thoughts only ever lead me into life. That's what he's saying. He's like, how's it going for you? By the way, now you can repent. You can learn to think differently. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is an entirely new economy, system, life, way to think, way to live called the kingdom of God that you can enter into. I even think, you know, the, the, how many, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but so many times, I, this has happened to me many times and it's become a beautiful way to turn this sadness into joy. I've had times in my life where the enemy has, the enemy of my soul has so gotten into my head that I was thinking things like, it would be better if I was dead. I, I, I wish I could check out of this entire system. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands on this right now because I know it's a heavy thing to just say, but I have, had, I have had that thought. I have said it to my wife. I, I, like I've had it as an adult, as a pastor. It's, it, it's how our mind can get so twisted. And I've thought it. I wish I could just check out of this whole system. It's exhausting me. It's killing me. I can't do it. I, I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. And what's amazing and what I, one of the ways I've come to flip that very negative emotion is what Jesus is inviting us to is, yes, check out of the system and come into the kingdom of God. Yes, check out of it. It's your choice if you want to keep living according to this system. I'm inviting you to something different. Repent. That's the invitation. So it's, it is a joyful word. It's an invitation word. And sometimes it do, does come with deep, beautiful sorrow because we're broken over how much we missed it. Right? So it's not condemnation, but it's this deep, beautiful, like, God, now I see. How did I not see? 
I live that circle over and over again in my life. It's a cycle, and that's okay. That's why repentance is a lifestyle. He says, repent, and then be baptized. Baptism in water, we do it right here. It's just the outward declaration that you're saying, man, I'm a follower of Jesus now. If you've not been baptized, we want to dunk you next week. If you're a new or renewed follower of Jesus, please let me know. Email us at hello at graceonchurch.com. Let one of our leaders know we will baptize you next Sunday. There is no big chest checklist of things you got to get done before you can get baptized. It is like initial step. If you're saying, I want to follow Jesus, we want to baptize you, period. He says it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. How amazing that we are forgiven for every single way we fall short. Who has any gladness about that today? Forgiven. It's unbelievable. Write the list of all of your stuff on a giant piece of paper, washed away, clean, as if you never did it. That's the invitation. Forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that one that wants to lead you into that kind of life, that kind of fruit. And then I love verse 39. The promise is for who? You? Who else? your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God would call. I'm so glad that promise is for me because, man, I need it. I'm so glad it's for my children. And I kind of made the joke in first service. How many of you ever felt like all hope was lost for your children? Nope, all hope is not lost. It's for your children. This promise is for your children. I say that very lovingly with my 12-year-old sitting right in front of me. And then look what he says. For all who are far off. Off. I'm so glad it says that because of how much I feel like I'm far off. It's crazy. People don't want to like connect with the body of Christ, with the church, with the family, because they feel like they're too far off. Nope, you're the exact people that, th that this is for. It is for you. If you feel far off, you are qualified. The people who are not qualified, just because the nature of what they're telling themselves, are the ones who are intensely self-righteous. I've got it figured out. I'm glad I'm not like all these people. I'm good. I've got it worked out. And I don't even need anything. I don't even need God. That's where self-righteousness ultimately takes you. But it seeps its way into the church, and that's why Jesus was so harsh with the Pharisees. The only qualification is feeling like you're far off. That is good news. Who's with me? That is the only, because it's those who are willing to say, I have need, and for all to whom the Lord our God would call. Let me invite the worship team to come on up. I'm going to quickly go through these three last points with a story. Number five in your notes articulates my prayer for today, the idea of things going beyond tradition and in reality. And it says this, knowing Jesus rose from the dead doesn't change your life, but encountering the risen Christ changes everything. You can believe it. You can be taught it your whole life. You can even teach it. But just saying Jesus rose from the dead doesn't change anything. It's a good thing to just acknowledge because lots of people that have been around church for years and years and years and years feel like, well, I tried it, didn't work, didn't change my life, done. And I can understand why people get to that conclusion. But what I've come to believe and experience is that what we're actually called to is encounter the risen Christ, actually meet the person named Jesus. And that changes everything, my friend. And similarly, Knowing, this is number six, knowing the fruit of the Spirit, like you could quote those things, love, joy, peace, patience. Knowing those doesn't change your life. Have you ever tried to change your life by just like trying to force it? <laughs> hey, I know it, maybe now I can do it. That doesn't change your life, but being filled with the Spirit is what changes everything. So it's 
It's the encounter of it. You know, my son, I've started with Clay. I'm going to end with Clay in this sermon. And I owe him a lot of money now. My rule is every time I talk about one of my kids in a sermon, I give them a dollar. So Clay's making money. He doesn't even know it. He's making his money work for him. Passive income. He's over there playing in the nursery and I'm paying him. (laughs) That's my boy. Um, I was taking him to preschool and we passed this sign from someone's house that says, you are loved. Cool, cool sign. I believe it. I'm glad it's there. You are loved. But as I drove by, for whatever reason, this particular time, I was just remembering, man, it's great that it says that, but at the end of the day, just saying that to someone rings empty. Like, I'm glad that you say I'm loved, but I don't feel loved. I, I talk with people all the time that people try to tell them they're loved or God loves you or someone loves you. Who cares? I don't, no one loves me. God definitely doesn't love me. Look at my life. You don't love me. I'm glad you put a sign in your door. I'm not like angry at these people, by the way. I don't mind like putting these messages out there. But my point is, it's just words. It's kind of like parents that are distant from kids and just think all they have to do is tell their kids, I love you. Oh, I told them from a distance. I love them. I love them. And, and those kids grow up and, and maybe never actually felt loved by the parent. It's because love at the end of the day has to be experienced. You have to actually find yourself in the reality of love to know that you're loved. The message doesn't do it. It has to be demonstrated to you. And what happened this morning is we drove by that sign and then just two minutes after that, we pulled into the school and you drive up to the drop-off area and you wait there for a minute until the teachers come and get your son. So we always get there a little early when I'm taking him in and he gets to take off his uh, seatbelt and out of his car seat and come up to the front with dad while the car is still on and we're in the parking lot and it's a big deal. And so he comes up there and I'm like, yes, my son, come up up to the front with dad. And we're listening to his music on Spotify. He's singing with me. We're high-fiving. We're putting the window down. He's getting ready to go to school. He is then living his best life. The joy on his face is because he is now experiencing the reality of love with me, his dad. The message rings hollow, but the encounter changes everything. And this is why I'm praying that your heart and your prayer will shift from, God, are you real or not? I don't know. God, I'm angry at you. I'm so disappointed with you. God, what do I need to get right in my life? I I pray it would switch from all that to, God, I want to meet you. I want to know you. I want to be with you. And the question goes this way, do you want to encounter the risen Christ and be filled afresh with the fullness of his spirit? I am praying that that would become your prayer. You know why? You start praying that as an honest seeker, I guarantee you, God will meet you. He will meet you. We will pray with you. We will walk with you as a church, but it's you and God, my friend. We'll support you. We'll high five you. We'll cheer you on. We'll hold you when you cry. We're together in it. But it needs to be your prayer, has to be your faith, has to be your encounter with God. And you might not have like good parents that demonstrated love for you. And that is very tragic. You might have had the opposite. But I wanna promise you, you have a heavenly father that wants to restore that in you. And he wants you to actually experience, be enveloped in his love. There's a scripture that says, perfect love casts out all fear. And I can't tell you how many people have said, 
I try to convince myself of that scripture. I memorize it. I put it on every door in my house. And those are all good things, but I'm still afraid. I'm still afraid. It's because it's not the verse alone. It's not the message. It's encountering perfect love. When you find yourself in the reality of perfect love, it casts out all fear. And that's the invitation today. It's that simple. We're going to sing a couple songs. We have a prayer team that's going to come up. As soon as we start singing prayer team, you can just come up and they'll just stand here. They'll pray with you. And it's not just to say yes to Jesus, though, if that's you, we'll pray with you. It's not just to say, fill me with the Holy Spirit, but if that's you, we'll pray with you. We want to pray with you about anything in your life. We believe prayer is powerful. We believe God is present with us. And we want to pray for your kids. We want to pray for your parents. We want to pray for your job. We want to pray for the needs in your life. We want to pray for the financial miracle you need. We want to pray for the suffering in your body that's going on. We want to pray with you and believe with you. And so we're just going to open up the altars here in a minute for you to just come pray with people while we sing. And we're going to start with this simple chorus. I'm going to change the order a bit. This song says, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And this Easter Sunday, let's be reminded that what Jesus does through overcoming sin, death, and the grave is he invites us in to the holiness of God, the forgiveness of our sins, and the ability to say, Holy Spirit, come dwell in me. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for what it represents. We thank you for new life and resurrection power, God. We thank you for it, Lord. And guys, if you're there, again, with our eyes closed, if you're wanting to say yes to following Jesus. Yes, fill me with the Spirit. Or I want to return wholeheartedly. I want to change the way I think. I want to be baptized. I want to, I want to walk in this vision for my life. Just say yes in your heart before Him. I'm not even going to ask you to, to raise your hand. You can let us know later because we want to walk with you. But just say yes and pray with me. Lord, I bring my whole life to you. I thank you for forgiveness of my sins. I need it, Lord. I thank you for this day that represents conquering sin and the grave. I say yes to that. And I say, fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Teach me your ways. Guide me in your vision for my life. I've tried every other way. I've tried my own thoughts. I've tried other visions. I've looked for help and, and medication in all kinds of places. And lots of things can help and, and be part of the solution. But God, I want the innermost being of my life to be the kind of life that I long for. I want to know those fruits of the Holy Spirit. So God, I just humble myself before you. And I say yes to you, Lord. And church, let's just sing the simple chorus one more time. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. And then I'll pray a benediction will be dismissed. Let's sing it. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come fly this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long to be Do this one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. So we have hope. We have new life. <laughs> Truly, we are so honored to have you with us on Easter Sunday. Thank you for joining us, worshiping with us, seeking God with us. I do want to encourage you if you're new, um, just know you have a family here. Um, I believe part of walking in this fruit of the Holy Spirit is to prioritize connection with the family of God. And that doesn't just mean Sunday morning stuff, though that's a part of it, but connection with the family of God. I pray you'll consider that. 
Um, if you want to get baptized, let me know. Let one, any of these team members know, my wife know, any of us. We'll, we'll explain any questions you have, answer anything, and we'll baptize you next week. We have people signed up already. There's a welcome table out there where you can get more info. And uh, we have Newcomers Connect on May 1st. That's just a great way to, to take the first step into connecting into the life of the church. Let me pray this benediction, and we'll be dismissed. Go forth with renewed hope. God does not leave things as they are. With God, all things are made new. All creation responds to God's presence. The world is alive with possibility. We open ourselves to this truth. With Christ, we trust our whole lives to this power. Nothing is beyond the reach of God, neither evil nor hardship nor death. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great afternoon.